I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. Cindy. Christian. Hi. Hi. See? It's just like we're friends. We just see each other at least 52 times. At least 52 times. <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm in your family and it's only going to, it's like it's been a month. And in reality. And in reality, it has not. It has been a long, longer time. So uh, by now, 52 in the key of summer, the second installment on the very long, what did they call it? A layered release? Yes. A layered, a, a, a layered release of volumes. A layered release, a layered release album project. Is that what it was said originally in the press release? Um. I, I just thought it was interesting the way that it was like, I know that I came with this crazy idea and you then did. you guys had to then handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there were a couple of us that, that batted back and forth how we were going how to we say this? explain that. Yeah. yeah. And, so essentially uh, we're in volume two. Yes. And we're getting, um, we're getting deep into the summer. Very deep. Now it's, uh, it's hot enough that your air conditioner is not keeping up. Yep. It's hot enough that you are asking yourself again how much it costs for a pool. <laughs> it's very expensive. Right? <clears throat> which is very expensive. And then you're probably settling for a kiddie pool, which I've done many times. Ha. Um, because the cold water from the hose in the kiddie pool can actually save your life. If you're me. <clears throat> <laughs> and at, at this point in the, uh, in the melting of the South... Yes, because we are melting. It's and, and now we got global warming on top of the melting, whether you believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's about time we are start, um, you know, like facing the, the truth. Right. Uh, for those of you that haven't quite figured that one out, uh, it's getting warmer, not colder. It's not the ice age we're headed toward. Oh. Uh, but um, what this means is, is that uh, we've got just a few more songs left here. In uh, in the key of summer, you know we're we're, we're getting towards uh, volume three. Yes, which will not be about pumpkins, probably. I, I'm I'm not going to confirm nor deny. Really? I, look, I'm the guy who made a zombie video for a Trailer Hitch. Oh, I know. I was there. I so don't the, you don't scare me with some Halloween. With some Halloween, I know. Well, there was. I'll never forget that video shoot. It was... That was insane. It was insane. And then the guy who parked my car wrecked it. So there's all kinds of things. Oh, no, to, really? Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's all kinds of memorable things about that shoot. Okay. Well, as we go into today's stuff, we're going to go into two songs. Yes. Pairing. And remember, in these pairings, it's whatever I want, as long as I wrote it or produced it or whatever. Yes. Um, and today's uh, song from 52 is House Band. Yes. And then the song I'd like to pair it with is a song called Run mm-hmm. that we wrote and recorded and produced with Matt Nathanson and for Matt Nathanson. Yes. How about that? Yes. So as we get into the the, the summer, summer heat, I'm going to read you a dad joke or two. Okay. 
as you mop up the sweat of your day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Cindy doesn't sweat. I don't even know what I'm telling you guys. Oh, Cindy sweats. It, no, you don't. You don't sweat. Okay, fine then. I'll go with that. We'll just perpetuate that myth. Waiter. I see your glass is empty. Would you like another one? Why would I want two empty glasses? Ah, okay. It took me a minute. That's because it's hot. Is that what it is? Uh Uh-huh. My brain just melted too. (laughs) Uh, You know, three weeks ago, I sent my hearing aid in for a repair, and really, I've heard nothing since. (laughs) Which is, you know, really terrible for your career. Oh, yeah, terrible. Right. Because you can't hear. So, uh, to whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I might steal that. (laughs) (laughs) See, I found some joy there in the heat of the day. You did. You did with, with word jokes. Yeah. Gosh, I'm a geek. Hey. Look, I've I've been a geek my whole life. I just keep rotating in and out of cool jobs to cover for it. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of of, I don't even know how to how to start this. I'll just start it this way. I love this song. I wrote it with um, Travis Hill, who has a nom de pen. Is it that what you call nom de plume? There you go. Uh, he has a pen name that is uh, Scooter Caruso. Yes. And if you are a person that was around when there were liner notes and you saw his name, you would have seen it by songs uh, uh, performed by or recorded by Kenny Chesney. Yes. I think he had a Taylor Swift song at some point. But um, when I first asked him, why do you call yourself Scooter Caruso? And he said, well, because, you know, he said something about his wife being a lawyer or something about being, you know, like not wanting people to know it was him or he was also a publisher and he didn't want to be known as the publisher and the writer or something. I don't know, but it was important to him. Right. Right. It was, it wasn't like I wrote Harry Potter and I also want to write romance novels and not ruin my reputation. It wasn't that. Okay. Cause she does that. Right. Yes. Um, it was her name again. She's, she's rich. Right. She's uh, rich. Rolling. Rolling. J.K. Rowling. Row- Rowling. I've been mispronouncing it all Well, the time. no, it could be rolling. It could just be the Southern. Like, it really might. You might be right. It might just be the. Oh. But I do think it's. Because there's a W in it, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I, pronunciation in, in the cross the pond is, is always suspect. You don't oh, ever depend on me. That's hysterical. Um. So uh, this first song, House Band, we wrote together um, and we wrote the verses and a part of the chorus and it just sat there for me and it sat there for probably seven years and I pulled it out and I was like, man, I really want to fix this. And so I tried to fix it three or four times and it just wouldn't fix. So I put it back down. We must have written this song in two thousand and eight or nine and I picked it back up probably 10 months ago and I was like what is it that's wrong with this because I love the song uh-huh. and my answer was now that I had a little distance from it was a the production was for crap 
<laughs> I, like I kept hearing it and going, eh, this is the song is better than the recording. Now, did you produce it? I of course I did, okay. but, but it was I didn't mean to, like I was mad at myself for having let myself down. Like the song was better than the recording. Sometimes that happens, right? Right. Um, but a, and, and a great song, if you've if you've got a great song, will outperform its recording. Right. Right. So, if you were to actually listen to a couple of uh, those old Rolling Stone songs, they're terrible recordings of great songs. You know, and you just don't don't it doesn't bother you. That's character. Character. Um, but this was for crap. So I, I knew I needed to fix that. And then my other problem was an intrinsic problem, which I could use your help with. Okay. As a critic, music critic. My concern was the title of the song was house band. And the metaphor that Travis and I were trying to go for was that babe, let's go dancing to God's house band, which is all of the sound of nature. So yeah. It's, it's as if I don't really need a band. What right. I really need is to go out way past where the road ends and walk out into where all we see are stars and the earth around us with no lights or anything and, and fireflies. And just, I just want to be with you and we will dance without music. Right. And that was like, God, that's romantic. And that's very Travis Hill. He is the most romantic dude ever. And, um, I was like, Oh gosh. I love this. I love it. I want oh, it to I want work. to do that now. I, yeah, I want it to work. Yeah. I, that's such a great image to me. And I'm from East Tennessee, just like you are. Like that, That's peaceful. Yeah, it's crickets. And, and yeah. it's, it is to me the most, one of the most beautiful thoughts. Yeah. So I didn't want to let the song down <laughs> because it was reaching for something that, you know, if I nail it, I don't ever have to write that again. It is done. That picture is complete. Right. So uh, I'm glad I waited um, because it, it timed out that I had finally stopped being the jerk in my own brain that said, I'm not getting this right. Mainly because I, I wanted to, to feed it in such a way to the listener that they would understand it without any ambiguity. Right. And at the time... I was trying to get Benny Brown to understand that, which was the head of the label. And he was a dense dude. He was like 70 something. He was kind, but he was just dense. He wanted it to be laid out in front of him because he was a radio guy. Well, he's a car, a car salesman. He was a car right. guy, but well, he was more than that, but he was, yes, he was. Um, but he had a photographic memory and I knew if I played it for him, the first time I played it for him, he will remember it the way I played it. And if I was to change it, he will know what I changed. Right. So I would never play it for him. Hmm. But it's what kept me from moving forward on a song. And so finally I was like, you know, I'm not having to impress anybody. I'm not trying to get this on the radio. I'm just trying to paint the picture. Did I do it well enough? And I listened back to it and I was like, ah, oh. and I just changed maybe one or two words in it. And I was like, you know what? Trust your audience. Just trust that the person listening will figure it out. Right. And even if I was worried about it and my 40 something year old self was anxious, my 50 year old something self uh, is just going to be okay with it. So I just went in, re sang it and I reproduced it. And 
it's one of my favorite songs. I love that. So, uh, also, I'm. If you don't know by now, and I haven't told you already, one of my favorite bands in the whole wide world, right? Right now, current favorite band is Muna, M U N A. And so I went in, and I had been binging on Muna. So I was. All of this is like retro '80s production that Muna is deep into right now, and I was trying to be, you know, a fanboy in their wannabe orbit. So I, when I reproduced this uh, country song, beautiful about the the countryside and lovely Travis Hill lyric, um, it also sounds a little bit like Muna playing a country song. So uh, here we are, Christian's uh, confession. Now, I, now I'm just going to let into the world. I just over talked to the nervous crap out of the song. Here we go. This is uh, House Band. Feel the gravel in your good gears drumming on the road as the world goes by. Oh, the melody of the wind and the crickets are singing when the mix just right. Doesn't matter much where we go, downtown or a country road, third pew or a corner bar. We can dance wherever we are. I just want to watch you move in your Bible one. Jagger and boys making that noise it makes me smile. It's your sweet soft southern draw. Where your tangled long hair falls down all around your face. I don't wanna be any other place. I just wanna watch you in your Bible one blues. Best things happen. I mean, the 80s are strong on that. I love the 80s, but it also sounds like 
home in a song to me. Yeah. You well, know? it's just because, you know, we're like, we grew up in the same part of the world. Yeah. And it brings you comfort. It does. I love it. And I'm visualizing it. And, and see, now, when I listen back, I'm much more confident on this side of the listening of the song than I was over-talking on the way into it, trying to explain it to everybody. Well, it's because you worked so hard to get it right. And, you know, kind of like we talked about before, no one knows what you meant for it to be except you. We can all appreciate it for the great piece of art that it is. And you just think about it as what you were going for. Yeah, I just... I. I'm just very grateful that it turned out well because, oh, and, and mainly because nothing hurts worse than knowing you could have changed it, mm-hmm. not changing it, and then living with it with the rest of your life as people start to, you know, listen to it over and over and over again. And at some point, you know, you got to realize was Byron Gallimore told me it was very smart. He was like, Christian now, let me see if I can do his voice. Christian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that's real important to you. And I got to tell you, you know, most people, you know, you get it to 80% and, and they, that's all they hear. That extra 20%, only you're hearing that, buddy. You know, it's great already at 80%. And the rest of it's just for you. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I have to remind myself that, um, my expectation of correct in a recording, like I got nailed it. I could be off that day by a good 20% and it'll still uh, translate. Oh, it's the same thing when you're writing a story because people are only going to read the top half. You spend six, I spend six or eight hours writing a story. I could have four hours off and just stop writing at 10 inches, <laughs> you know? Really? Because, yeah, they they make these things that it's like this moving red line that shows you how far people read. Oh, really? So you can tell when they stop reading. So, yeah, and you're like, oh, I, I bled for those other 500 oh, words. I wonder about this uh, as it, it pertains to albums. So the back half of an album, do you think people listen to? I think albums are different. I've I think noticed on 52 so far, because you can now see all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The last two songs get the least amount of attention. Well, I think that streaming changed that because I I think that it were it was it probably they probably got more action when you you know had something to put in the car and yeah. versus just yeah, plugging yeah. in. I mean, yeah, because now you can skip so quickly. Yeah, it used to be that you could. I, I remember we would talk about. Oh, Christian, it doesn't matter what the order is anymore because people can move forward on their CD player. <laughs> like it was one touch. Whereas before, like on your cassette, you had to wait. When you hit it, it took a long time for the... Yeah, you had to fast jump. forward. You had to yeah. fast forward to the next song, right? And then you probably messed it up. And you probably messed it up. So it was probably not worth doing. Might as well listen. Right. Right. And when it got to CDs, they were like, oh, forget it, man. People put it in their own order. And I was like, I'm not giving up. Right. You know, I treat records like live shows. Like it's exactly how I want you to... Oh, hear everything. 200%. I still ask people about, you know, them bleeding for, you know, the sequence of the track list. Yeah. And they, and a lot of them do. A lot of them don't, but you know, I like to think it still matters somewhere. Oh, I 200% think it still matters. Well, um, this next song, speaking of the theory of records, um, is, uh, 
by an artist named Matt Nathanson, who is probably, in my opinion, the most re like knowledgeable artist I've ever met. Oh, wow. That's a big statement. He knows so much about so many different things about music, about being an artist. He's like a huge metal fan. He's like, he knows things that I thought I was carrying around esoteric knowledge. And he would be like, man, I love that you know that, Christian. Did you also know this, this, and this? I'll be like, oh my gosh. So uh, I'll briefly introduce you on how I met Matt. And then we'll we'll jump into the song. But, okay. Um, I was uh, taking my child to go see a Star Wars movie. And um, Sugarland was kind of in... Uh, the back of our second record, we had just won a Grammy. Things were going really unbelievably well and fast. And um, I was trying to fit in being a dad. And my brother was in train at the time. And I called him because he was considering coming out with us because train was off for a while because Pat was doing a solo record. Mm-hmm. And I we were talking about opening acts. And he said, hey, man, you know, um, you ought to, uh, you ought to, um, consider Matt Nathanson as an opening act. And I was like, I I don't know him other than, you know, like Jennifer played me a couple of his songs and then, uh, I didn't think anything of it. And then literally a week or two later, Jennifer, like I, she picked me up in the car or something here in Nashville. We were going to something. She goes, man, you got to listen to this song. And it was called, come on, get higher. And we listened to it and I was like, man, we should play that song. That song's great. And so we just started covering it at the end of our show. And uh, I kept one of the recordings back. And so when we put out our second record, our third record, Love on the Inside, there was a fan edition, which was they allowed us to, we were at the beginning of the expanded version of us. They, they didn't have those until that moment. Yeah. And the record label was trying to put out the expanded version second. Yeah. And we got real mad at them. We were like, you're making our fans buy the record twice. Why are you doing that? Why don't you get the fan edition out first? Because that's when fans are going to buy it first. And then do the like non-fan edition second. And they did. And so um, I got a chance to call Matt Nathanson (laughs) and say, you don't know me, but you know my brother, Brandon. You opened for his band. But uh, my name's Christian. I'm his older brother. And we're about to release your song. We did a cover on it in country music. But it's on the fan edition of the album. But I just wanted to let you know. And, and hey, man, it's good to meet you. And hi. And so uh, he called me back. And it was right in the middle of the movie. So I just walked out of the movie theater and talked to him. And we immediately just became friends on the phone. Right? So when it came time to get openers for the Incredible Machine Tour, we, uh, we were trying to look outside a genre. And we were, uh, talked about Sarah Bareilles. Mm-hmm. and Little Big Town in genre, and then Matt Nathanson. And we, we, we navigated them. Different ones could cover different parts of the tour. And Matt came out with us, and uh, I would go on stage and play Come On, Get Higher with him. And I, um, he got to ride the bus with me and Brandon because he knew Brandon, and he would ride our bus because yeah. it was just him and, and, and uh, his guitar player. And as a result, we all became friends, and... He taught me so much stuff and I'd learned somewhere along the way that he hadn't co-written. Right. And he was real frustrated with what was happening in his world. And I was like, Hey man, well let's write a song. So he and Jennifer and I sat down and wrote a song once and 
uh, Matt is just as an unbelievable um, respect for the artists he loves and he loves you too. And so do I. So we kind of joined on this and, and we we're poking on this idea of a love song that was a duet that would go back and forth. And this, he has a, a way with lyric that is unique. He, 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 he bangs on the lyric until it beats itself into submission. Yeah. And I sit with a thing where I just sit quietly until I get it right in my head and then I write it down on paper. And he writes it all down all the time and then starts erasing all of things until he gets back to what he just needs. And so we wrote the song. And I, um, I didn't think much of it except that we were like, man, we should just go record this while we're in Atlanta at a place we know. And you can just use it as the demo or the recording or whatever. So we went in and recorded it and produced it and damned if it didn't get released <laughs> right so uh the, and with jennifer singing the other half of the verses and everything so there's a lot more to the story but that's how we met and that's how it came to happen and i'm sure he remembers things i don't remember and jennifer remembers things i don't remember but um that was kind of the abridged version of Hello, you don't know me. I'm Christian and you're Matt. To now we have a song out on the radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, here it comes. Okay. Uh, Run by Matt Nathanson. I want to watch you undress. I want to watch you glow. Let your hair down. All around and cover us both You come in waves We crash and we roll You surround me, pull me, drown me Then swallow me whole You turn, turn, turn Turning me on like a slow
Turning me on like a slow fire burn I know that it's wrong, still I run, run, run Run right into you kind of hear the incredible machine album oh 200 <laughs> percent. it was in the exact same room with almost the exact same players <laughs> yeah i know. love that album that's a great song it's kind of cool right yeah. and uh I, I love that matt has a uh, a very flourishing co-writing co-producing career now and yours first well no but i think that we were like um we were a good first step in that yeah you know but i'll tell you here's the thing i wanted to talk about and start to discuss because this was a weird thing that happened with this song right right so when you see it out in the world depending on when you looked it was uh run right the artist was uh matt nathanson and then the song was run featuring um jennifer nettles and christian bush and then later in time, not sure how much later, it was featuring Sugarland. But the backstory on that is a real thing that is probably worth talking about because I learned a lot right in the moment that this went down. But um, and I'm sure Matt has a lot to say about this because oh he ha- he he is he is uh he has less filter than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, when it first happened. Right. We uh, typically we and Sugarland lead with creativity. So we do the thing first and then the people around us then have to figure out what to do with it. Right. Right. And um, although it was not a secret that we went in and did this, um, when it was surprisingly good, which everyone is like, oh, my gosh, but that's great. Now, what do we do? I'm like, oh, you thought that was going to be crap, didn't you? (laughs) So <laughs> I'm sure they did not think it was going to be crap. Well, you don't know sometimes, you know, they, at that point in your career, they're like, man, you know, we're not really going to tell you no. They're just going to yes you. But um, at this point, we turned it in. And uh, as they were starting to roll it out, they were like, oh, great. This will be Matt Nathanson featuring Jennifer Nettles. And I was like, "What? wait, what? And they were like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we did with Bon Jovi. That's what we've done. That's what, that's what we'll do here. And I was like, okay, but um, is it because I didn't sing on it? And they were like, oh, no, no, no. It's just what we've done before. And I was like, okay, well, can you help me with something? And the label was like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, so if I wrote it and I produced it and I played guitar on it, though I didn't sing on it, does that mean that it is 
a Sugarland feature? Because there are many, I mean, that's what constitutes a Sugarland song. Right. <laughs> like that was, if you were to make the logical definition or the legitimate definition, like. Right. That was the precedent. Uh, yeah. Well, you, typically Jennifer and I are like, on, our, on rare occasions, one of us will have written the song, but mostly if we wrote it together, no matter who sings it, that's Sugarland song. Right. You know, and uh, occasionally like stay with something she had before and. You know, we haven't really, maybe one song since then. Right. But, uh, so I was really confused and I was, I was kind of on the verge of like, Hey guys. So, you know, am I invisible? Like, I, is there anything else I could have done on this that would constitute? And then they, then they were like, well, you know, surely it's a really important brand and we don't know if we want to be associating that with you know, this singer songwriter guy over here as if Matt had less value. Right. And I was like, huh, this was before Spotify and before features, you know? Right. Do you want to explain who they is? Like who is the greater they? Well, it depends on who was on the side of the telephone for me, but um, many times it's the record label itself. Sometimes it's the record label communicating through our manager, Gail at the time. Mm hmm. But, um, I was, con you know, the label kind of had control of that, but the only information I had was be, it was being filtered, right. obviously through a messenger. Right. And sometimes that was Gail. Uh, but I was confused as to just what are the logistics of it? Um, because I, I, I love producing records and I love Matt and I right. wanted to help him any way we could. Sure. So a lot of that, me kind of asking questions so eventually ended up, um, with it changing to mm -hmm. featuring Sugarland, <laughs> which by the way is the only time we have ever had a feature. Oh, um, there was one that was before that, which was that life in a Northern town, but I think it was, backwards and forwards so it was like right. sugarland featuring little big town and jake owen and then they wanted to put on their record a uh, little big friends and so they put it on a little big town record featuring sugarland jake owen so i guess technically that was one um but otherwise the only phone call i ever had about any of that i'm sure jennifer had plenty and has had lots of asks but as a band right i got it from dirks oh he called at some point after this, in the middle of the second record, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'd like you guys to be a feature on this song." And and he, and he sent it to me, and of course, I listened to it, and I was like, "This is awesome!" And I sent it into the management, and it just disappeared, and we never did it. But um, but I like to acknowledge that he's the one guy. Oh, love Dirks, and it just died just, in the black hole of management. Yeah, it happens, but um, w one way or the other, this was my first strike accidental situation that said, well, how do you define the band? Right. Right. And you're asking the label to do that and, or your manager or whomever is representing you into the world. Like what counts as, and what doesn't count as. And I think that it was one of the, um, you know, it's one of the, the weights that went into the conversation pieces that ended up, you know, making the band stop. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you've, I drew too much attention to the question that suddenly it became another one of the one of the things that moved forward. Um, what I thought was also interesting about the song, and I uh, is we got to perform it. We loved it so much, um, and we got to perform it at the CMAs. Right, and we were really excited. We did we did like a little like radio conversation press thing backstage about this being a single mm-hmm. Matt came and sang it with us on stage. And then the next day is they decided the label was like, sorry, not a single. <laughs> Seems so, like unfortunate timing. Yeah. For sure. I'm sure it got caught in something. There's more to the story, but uh, from the artist's perspective, it was a very successful write and a very successful song and a great recording. Yeah. And i um, very proud of it. And you know, no matter the the naming convention problem or any problem that ensued after that, um, I feel like it's the responsibility of the the people that are making stuff right. to make it like once it leaves your purview, like your grasp, yeah, it's the best it can be, right? And uh, and I feel that about this song. I even think I like I reluctantly was the electric guitar player on that song. One of them. And I feel like I did a good job. Um, Well, it seems like regardless of its career at radio, it was very impactful. Oh, yeah. On on a lot of things career related. I just like connecting audiences that don't know that they like the same thing. Yeah. Like Matt Nathan's an audience that probably didn't know they were Sugarland fans. And Sugarland fans probably had no idea. Right. That Matt Nathanson was something they loved. Right. And that's one of your responsibilities, I think, as an artist is to, to don't hoard your crowd, (laughs) you know, don't, don't be selfish with your popularity. Right. You know, spread it out. Well, who else do sugar fan, do sugar fan lands, (laughs) do (laughs) do sugar land fans love that they don't know? I think they love Muna and don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, uh, I think Sugarland fans, it was real interesting for me because it, people who are fans of that band are fans of so many things. Like that, that band has always been an inclusive place. Sure. And so other things that are inclusive. So, um, I, I have never found anyone that is, a diametrically opposed Sugarland fan. Like, you know, right. how they used to have like skateboarders and BMXers would never hang out. Right. Right. Like if you were a skater, you hate BMXers. If you're BMXers, you hate skaters. Right. And, uh, there is no band or genre that's like, man, I'm a classical fan and I just hate Sugarland, you know, or I love death metal, but Sugarland is just not my thing. Like I actually know people who love all of that. Well, sure. So I, I like to think that um, it was like a an any flavor jelly bean. An any flavor jelly bean. Yeah, like just because you like watermelon flavored jelly beans doesn't mean you're not going to like this one. Do you know what I mean? It's a, you, uh, people think of music as a, or used to, uh, that they had to go in like who you, you're defined by who you listen to. And I grew up that way. Right. You know, I was into Adam and the Ants, which meant my friend who loved Oingo Boingo and I, we, we, we fought, right? We were, and there was a time even in the eighties where I was like, Hey man, I'll, I'll play any music except country music. 
right? Because I was like into metal or punk rock or something, you know, like, and right. somehow the way you dressed and what you listened to, all of it was a, a def, like a personal identity. Right. And when this kind of revolution of digitizing music happened, it became less and less um, divisive and more and more, it was just easier to yeah. have a Beastie Boys song next to a Billy Pilgrim song next to a Sugarland song in your playlist. It just became easier. Right. You know, you didn't have to make a mixtape out of it. You literally just dragged it into your playlist. Right. And then as time has moved on, I think we've gone backward. So now if you want to listen to country music, you got to go to the country music playlist to hear it. It's not on just the everybody playlist. Yeah. That's dominated by like hip hop and trap and pop and like we're back to our I think we're moving back to this kind of niche space that we were in earlier. Um and I think that's just a function of record companies trying to make money. I don't think it has anything to do with the listener. I think the listener still listens to whatever they want. Yeah. But it's just they're trying to learn how to remarket things again. So you know, they used to market country music to country music fans instead of everyone. And for a small, about 10, 12 years in there, it was like everyone for everything. And when you, when you mixed it all together, you started to get these beautiful, weird things. Sometimes it was successful. Sometimes it was terrible. But, you know, there's just no reason we should be keeping Lil Nas X out of something. You know, just right. no reason. It's, it's music, people. It's, you know. It's not like it's a religion. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it might be mine. I started to say it depends on who but, you ask. But, uh, you know, it's not like football teams. We're, that's not what we're doing. We're all going in the same direction. We're making more stuff, trying to express ourselves, you know. But, boy, you got a whole lot of me talking on this episode, didn't we? I just realized, well, I probably had a lot to say. You had a lot to say. Yeah. Which is fine. Thank you for holding my hand through it, Cindy. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, you are, in fact, 52. <laughs> so sometimes I overtalk. Is that no, what you're telling me? I'm no, at no. the age where you're like, Dad, hey. Oh, no, no. As no. long as I'm not repeating a story, we're good. No, no, no. I think that, uh, I think your name is on top. So you get to talk all you want. No, it still doesn't, I, you know, I still get AARP demerits. <laughs> You know, that is the world's most uh, circulated magazine. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to talk to my publicist, see if I can get on the cover of that. <gasps> She's probably already working on it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great to see you. You too. We'll do this again. What yes. do you guess? Yes. Okay. See you. Bye. Right. Bye. Hey, everybody. Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.